I could hear Chris Rock in my head sometimes. Like, <laughs> no matter what you do, you don't forget your Black audience. If my parents hadn't had the shame and desire for secrecy and desire to maintain appearances that they had, they probably would have adopted. So it's not only their love, it's actually their shame and their secrecy that led to me being on this planet. Wow. My mom would be like, you've got your grandfather's ass. <laughs> I was like, what a, what a great inheritance. Thank you, Grandpa. Um. <laughs> This is What Now with Trevor Noah. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases. And 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card is issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So, happy Kerry Washington Day, everybody. Happy Kerry Washington Day. I'm, I'm really excited to have um, Kerry on the show for multiple reasons as well. You know, obviously, I fell in love with Kerry on Scandal. And Kerry's one of those actors where you see them in all the movies that they're in, but you somehow don't notice them because they're that good. They just become every single character. And and now now Kerry's written a book, which I don't know. Have, have, you, have you read it? Christiana, how are you? Have you read it? I've started and I'm really surprised that she's going there. She's always been like this very buttoned up private public figure yeah she has right now she's letting it all yeah. out and i'm like oh my gosh this is intense yeah but, but you know what you know what's interesting is she's letting it out but still within how can i put it it's, it's almost like it's a walled off letting it out it's a so i i, I won't oh now nah, i can't spoil the book for you you know people who consume media late you guys kill me <laughs> Yeah, I have two kids. I can't keep up with Kerry Washington's going on. I'm sorry, Trevor. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can I tell you what I love about you, Christiana, is every time we hang out, you tell me I need to get married and have kids. And every time we hang out, you tell me of all the great things you cannot do because you are married and have kids. Yeah, that's why I want you to get married and have kids. I want you to have less freedom, Trevor. You want me to have less freedom Absolutely. and less fun in life. Absolutely. I want you to be like, tethered to one place my goodness i don't want you to be like oh i'm in chicago i'm in la i mean i want you to always be in the same place wow i always know where trevor is wow yeah, that's what i want mm, for you. you and debt collectors this is basically <laughs> <laughs> i want you to have to do the school run i want you to have to like go to urgent care because one has a smelly ear oh, and you think it's an ear goodness. infection oh my goodness change your life or change your life. Oh my You'll goodness! You'll be less happy but more fulfilled. I've actually seen the stats <laughs> on those numbers, and they, they, they like they've. It's it's funny that they've measured it. They've measured it, in the, and they've said that if you are a parent, it is proven you are less happy. Yeah, but then when they grow, you're happier. Like when they get older, I'm like my happiness comes in like twenty years time, Christmas dinner, and we're all like pulling crackers around the table, and I'm like, wow, I did it. It's not. It's not now. I'm looking ahead. I just don't want to be by myself. So here's here's a, here's one of the biggest misconceptions I feel people have is that you don't ever have to be by yourself, even if you don't have kids. 
No, but I like the I like the multi-generational thing. I like new characters coming in for the plot. It moves the story of life forward. It's funny you say that. I just made friends with a 92-year-old woman this past weekend. Does she know you're just friends? I look- <laughs> <laughs> ah, Trevor. She may be telling her friends in the nursing home, I got a man. <laughs> Nice biracial guy. He does this comedy. Can thing. can I tell you? Can I tell you if if that's the case? So be it. I will friend zone her, and and we'll go from there. I, look, I, I I do get what you're saying. I just I think families actually that that's one of the big things that Carrie gets into in her book. And and you'll forgive me, Christian. I'll spoil a little part of it that you that you you may bump into. She talks about how she discovered that she wasn't her father's biological daughter, mm. and I mean like discovered now, not. 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five, no. Yeah. This is a secret that plagued her family for her whole life. I admire the fact of her not just processing it, but doing it publicly. Right. Because she could have made it a secret too. And no one had to know that. Yes. But she has this courage to say, I want to share this in front of the world. And I don't know if I could do it. I'm I'm a fan of a good secret. Yeah, you truly are. I feel like that. I feel like that's where <laughs> I'm African. That, that's what I was about oh to say. God. That's where your Africanness <laughs> comes out like fully. Funny enough, I think you're the perfect combination. I think the most secretive families I've ever come across are Africans and Brits. The British in their families, they do not play games. Yeah. British families are so secretive. British dads won't even tell their sons that they love them. They'll just keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> True. And it's the same with African dads. Yeah, same with, same African, with dads African dads. <laughs> Let an African father say, "I love you." Like, if the world will stop. Do you not know? Do you not know that I love you? How can? How can you? What do you think this is? What do you? Th- and they'll just start pointing at things in the house. Look at look at these pants. Are this look at these trousers you are wearing? Is that not love? <laughs> you know what? I can't wait to talk to Carrie about is just like what it's been like because I know. It's one thing to write a book. It's another thing for the book to be out. Mm. And I, I I can't wait to hear how, how she feels this has affected her family. Oh, yeah. Well, she's uh, about to step into uh, into the podcast. Hopefully she won't spoil the book too much. You should just read it before the, the actual episode comes out. Yeah, I'll do. Yeah, two kids, read books. Yeah, sure, Trevor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you, you can do it. You, you're, you're tethered. Isn't that the word you use? You're tethered. You can do it. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> shackled is a user word I should be using. I am shackled. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Bogata Hotel, Casino, and Spa in Atlantic City. Your perfect getaway. Immerse yourself in the style and sophistication of Atlantic City's number one gaming resort where elegance meets entertainment and luxury awaits at every turn. If you're ready for an unforgettable experience, visit thebogata.com to book your stay today. Must be over 21 to gamble. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Testing one, two. Kerry Washington. Hi! Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. 
I'm not going to lie. It's a little strange talking to somebody who you've gotten to know as a human being. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, I just want to have a conversation with you the way we normally have conversations. On the other hand, I never want somebody listening to this conversation to feel like they're not intimately a part of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's true. We have to open our arms to let people into our friendship. Yes. We also have something to celebrate in addition to your book and your story which we're going to get to. The strike has officially ended. Yes. Ah. Congratulations. Amazing. Thank How are you feeling you. about that? I'm feeling so relieved. I'm feeling so relieved. I feel like there have been so many families who have been struggling in this time of being out of work. And I'm really proud of our union. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of the studios for everybody just continuing to sit down at the table and hash this out. It feels like a really important time, like a crossroads in our technological advancement to be able to protect creators, to protect artists. So... I'm just, I'm really, really glad we have a deal. I'm really glad we can get back to work. I'm feeling really relieved and excited to get back on a set. You know, I was part of slash listening. I was, I was, I really butted into a conversation that two people were having. This was in a coffee shop in New York. And you just randomly sat down with them? And- no, 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 no. I, the <laughs> people were standing in, in the line and mm. they were waiting for their coffee. And they were talking about the strike. Mm -hmm. And one of the people said, I don't give a shit about the actors. Like, they get so much. And why should we care about their strike? And, Mm. and, you know, like these writers in Hollywood and it's bullshit, whatever. Yeah. And and I I couldn't help myself. And and I I chimed in and I said, I said, hey, can can I ask you a question? What is it about their strike that you don't care about? And they said, well, I just think it's, you know, I just think it's bullshit. Like, I mean, they, they, they have such a great time. And, and it was interesting because, I, you know, the, the person was, wasn't like an asshole in any way. Right, right. It's just the perception. Yeah. And, and then I had to explain to him that he is conflating famous, very successful actors mm-hmm. with all actors. Mm-hmm. Many who are working people who just earn enough to raise a family and to, yeah. you know, it's, it's the same in many industries. Like in sports, we think of everyone as LeBron James. That's We don't exactly know how right. many NBA, NFL, <laughs> different league players just mm-hmm. earn enough money to make a living. There are stars in every industry. Mm-hmm. There are some doctors who make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And there are some doctors who make enough to earn a decent living. And the conversation I had with them was really dynamic and interesting because then we just got into a conversation around strikes Mm. and why we feel like there are so many strikes happening right now and how interesting it is to see the movement of labor. People saying, hey, we know that there is value in our work. These companies for a long time have made a lot of money from that work. Mm -hmm. And as the world evolves, we're going to keep on having to negotiate and fight back for the value of our work. And I wondered, like, what, what are your thoughts on the movement as a whole, because it hasn't been just actors. It hasn't just been writers. I mean, you look at the the auto workers in, in Detroit. That's right. And the strikes right. that they've been having, you know, to fight for their future with electric cars, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what do you think it says about the world and where we're heading? You know, I, I think about that phrase that democracy is one, that we have to keep working for democracy with every generation. We can't ever take it for granted. And I think the same is true for the rights of workers, built into capitalism is this idea of the haves and the have-nots and a, a culture of greed. And so we have to continue to fight to make sure that the success of few does not outweigh the rights of all. Huh. You know, one of the most important people in my life as a young adult was Howard Zinn. He wrote this incredible history, the people's history of the United States. And I was lucky enough to read it in my 20s and then have a relationship with Howard. And he was kind of the closest thing I had to a grandfather. I didn't grow up knowing either of my grandfathers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And Howard... I think about Howard a lot. Like, I think he would be very proud of this moment, proud of this movement, proud of people understanding their value and their worth, despite a culture that wants to make us feel like some of us deserve more than others. Right. You know what? I think it's true of any industry. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the one shortfall of capitalism. I think any system will have its, its pros and its cons. 
And I think the one shortfall of capitalism is you constantly have to be paying attention to it. I often think of capitalism like um, like my dogs when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. They were really wonderful. They were great. They were fun. They were they made my life really really fantastic. But I knew if I left my meal on a table that they could reach, <laughs> my dogs would right. take it, Carrie. My right. dogs would take it. And and I remember one day <laughs> getting so angry because they ate like my mom bought a hamburger and we could never really buy hamburgers. And it, I was just, mm. and I was saving it. I ate the fries and then I went off to like just to like oh. think about my life and how good it was. And I left the burger on the table. I used to, I, I, I really suffer from that. I have, I have like this deferred gratification for many things that I enjoy in life. Wow. And I came back and Kerry, I'll never forget the sight. The plate was on the floor and there were crumbs oh, no. and the dog was sitting there just like almost smiling at me. <laughs> and I was so angry and sad and I felt betrayed. And my mom said to me something that stuck with me forever. She said, why are you angry? And I said, because the dog. And she said, but why did you leave it there? And I said, I, I, I didn't think the dog. And she said, Trevor, you cannot be angry with a dog for being a dog. Oh, I love your mom. And I was like, huh. And I, I think that with capitalism, I go, capitalism is this really fun and interesting dog where it does great things for many people. And, you know, it makes fancy things. But don't ever take for granted the fact that part of it is it will take from everyone what it can take. Yes, it's a hungry you... beast. Exactly. It is a exactly. hungry beast. You know, it, so, it is. It so, truly is. So that's exciting. I mean, you, you're, you're back on the road. Um, let me ask you this. Where are you in your press tour for the book? Because that's the thing that I've, I've, I've still been seeing everywhere. Congratulations again. I <laughs> spoke to you, you when you, you were, for... when you were writing it. I spoke to you when you had written it. Now I'm speaking to you as, <laughs> as a bestseller. <laughs> Thanks to you and your blurb and all your oh, support. Oh, no, please. No, I don't. I don't think anyone buys the book because of the blurb. But thank some you. people do. Some people do. But yeah, let's let, let's let's talk about the book. And if anyone's listening to this and they haven't read the book, I almost envy you. Hmm. It's the same way I envy people who haven't watched like my favorite movies, like The Matrix Game of or one Thrones of those. Or the yeah, I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh, you, oh, you have it's so fun. If you haven't read Kerry Washington's <laughs> book, I envy you. You are lucky because now you have the opportunity to experience mm. such a beautiful memoir and story and interrogation of, of life and forgiveness and everything in between. And like any great story, it's not just a hero's journey. It has plot twists galore, <laughs> which we're going to speak about. But let's, let's, let's talk about that part yeah. first. For me, it's a story of belonging mm. and not just belonging to others, but in a strange way, belonging to oneself as well. Mm. You discover something that in many ways is the foundation of how we situate ourselves as human beings. Mm. And in the strangest way and in the most beautiful way, it doesn't destabilize you. If anything, it seems like it deepens your roots. It makes you feel like you belong. If you don't mind, take us through the story of this moment in Kerry Washington's life. What happened and, and sort of we'll get into why and how it was the deal that it was and how you've dealt with it. So I got a text from my parents that they needed to talk to me about five years ago now. And when I sat down with them, they shared with me that my dad, who will always be my dad, is not my biological father. I was conceived from a sperm donor. Wow. It was shocking it was mm-hmm. like just shocking to me and weirdly at the same time, so clarifying. Mm. It felt like in that conversation, they took off my glasses and cleaned them and put them back on me. Mm. And suddenly everything made sense. Like I could see things I had never seen before. Right. One of the things that I felt got gifted back to me in this process was an ability to trust my intuition and my instinct Mm. because I knew, I knew my whole life that there was some thing between my parents and I. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why it was. And I am a very loved child. My parents 100% did the best they could. They loved me big time. Yeah, you, you feel that in the book. But there was this arm's length thing that I had with my mother emotionally. Mm-hmm. With my dad, it was different. It wasn't an arm's length, but it was a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. Not knowing why. I always thought it was my fault. I thought there was something I was doing wrong. I mm. thought maybe I wasn't good enough or 
whatever, as we, as, as kids and we try to fill in the gaps, I just thought maybe I have to be better or smarter or prettier or stronger or more successful or mm. whatever it was. But when they gave me this information, I, it was like my big aha moment of like, this is the thing. Yeah. This was the moat. This was the thing I could never get across. Right. So it allowed me to connect more deeply to myself and my truth, but also it just allowed me to connect to them because there was no longer a secret between us. Most people hearing this would say, why wait? Why now? You know, why four decades in, there's no medical emergency. Mm -hmm, why mm -hmm. would your parents out of the blue decide to text you and say, hey, Carrie, we want to spice up your life. <laughs> Let you go into. <laughs> You've got everything in check, Carrie. Let's, uh, let's spice things up for you. <laughs> the how this comes to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is out of this world. So, um... I ran into an old friend of mine, Skip Gates, who has this incredible show on PBS called Finding Your Roots. Yep. And he had been asking me for years if I wanted to come on the show. And I never really had time because being number one on a one-hour drama is just like, you don't get to have any other life. So I said, yeah, this is perfect. Now's the time. Like, we should do this. And so he said, great. And they started immediately looking into family history and family records. And then he sent me these DNA kits for me and my parents. Mm -hmm. And my dad started having panic attacks. Mm. And I didn't know, like all of a sudden my parents were getting like really weird and cagey. And mm. my mom has done this work for so long. I mean, she has traced her ancestors back to like Scottish, maybe pirates who landed in Jamaica. Like she's gone way <laughs> back. Like she knows all of that. And on my dad's side, I was like, oh, there's so much we don't know. We know sea islands, but like, what if we could take it to a particular, that's every African-American's dream, by the way. Yes. It's like, maybe yes. we can take it to a particular tribe, right? right. Like. So I was really excited. And they, my parents just kept getting more and more uncomfortable. And finally, I, mm -hmm. I called Skip and I said, I, I, don't, I don't think this is going to work. My parents really are uncomfortable. He said, let me talk to them. I'm kind of of their generation. Let me see if I can mm -hmm. put them at ease about it. And they wound up telling Skip that I was most likely born from a donor before they told me. Wow. They said it sort of as a hypothetical, like, let's say there's a chance that she was maybe <laughs> born from. And they were like, would that show up? Your parents should never try to commit crime. <laughs> no, no. Dear Skip, before we do this test, what if, what if, what if, but it's not us asking exactly. for a friend, Skip. Totally asking for a friend. Just, just asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, a hundred percent that would show up. Yeah. And a hundred percent we would talk about it on the show. And so they were like, okay, we're not going to do the show. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You should tell her. And they were like, no. And he said, you know, in my years of experience, it has been more painful when people get this news when a parent is gone, because then you can't process it together. Damn. And what a gift he gave my family. Because, you know, I do, I believe that we are as sick as our secrets. And mm -hmm. my parents would have taken this secret to their grave. My mom says that she was going to write me a note and put it in like a safe deposit box for me. But as she told me this, she was like, knocking on 80 and had had cancer three times and there was no note written. So I'm like, wow. when was the note going to happen? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think our family has had such an opportunity because of Skip and the show and, and because of their courage to come forward and tell me we've been able to let go of some of the shame and let go of the secrets and be so much closer. I sat with your discovery. I thought to myself, if this were me, I don't think I would be where you are. I, I don't. I. I don't think many people would be where they are because we, you know, we get taught so many things. We get told so many things. Oh, you have your father's smile. You. Oh, you have your mother's laugh. Mm. You have your grandfather's this. You have your. Mm -hmm. My whole life, that's all I was told. You know, my mom would be like, "You've got your grandfather's ass, and you've got your, you know, <laughs> like a giant ass in the family." And that was like a thing that I, my mom always told me. And I was like, "What a what a great inheritance! Thank you, Grandpa." Um, <laughs> You know, it's but there's no denying you shaped some of yourself around mm -hmm. these, those stories. Yeah, yeah. These, these inherited stories. This is who I am. This is a part of who I am. It's so true. Like my dad, his family is from the Gullah Islands in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can tell me. Like I still feel like I'm from the Sea Islands in South Carolina. Right. What's amazing is I actually had a moment early on. This was like maybe three or four weeks after my parents told me where I said to my husband, 
I wonder if our son will have any trouble having children. And Namdi was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, because my dad, and he was like, he's not (laughs) your biological father. It will not impact the biology of our son. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that. And I was like, oh, oh, like it takes me a moment to sometimes shift out of the fantasy of it. Right, right. Which is also, I think, you know, I don't know, part of why it's hard for me to to hold on to anger about my dad keeping this secret from me mm-hmm. is because it wasn't a reality for him. Like he told himself this story that I was his and he was mine and he wholeheartedly believed it. Right. Like I don't think my father was keeping something from me. I think he detached himself from that truth. And truly, like, I didn't really understand denial until walking through this experience with my parents. Like, when confronted with this truth, it was so confusing for my dad because he 100% had bought into this other story, which means so much to me because I am his and he is mine and nothing will shake that from his perspective. The part of the book where you talk about the role he played and how he played it is extra special to me because he was completely choosing you. Mm. And and I, I don't mean this to diminish any other parent out there, but this person is completely choosing you. Like, there are many parents who go like, all right, I had you. I had you, and now I have to deal with the fact that I have you. And, <laughs> and you know, and like everyone. I mean, my mom has said that to me at some point. She's like, all right, I've, you know, I, I've got this little shit, and I just have to deal with it. But this is somebody who every single day was choosing you 100%. You were not forced upon them. And it's it's interesting because the title of the book is thicker than water. And I don't know if you've read, have you read the full quote of blood is thicker than water? Have you ever read the full quote? I don't know. I don't think so. So I, I'm, I just know my version. No, no, no. So, so oh, I. No. What have I done? No, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so irresponsible. No, can I tell you, it's actually the perfect quote. Yeah. So I love reading about quotes or phrases that we use in society that we, we don't, we don't ever dig into the history of them, the why, the who, the where. Right. Coincidentally, Blood is Thicker Than Water is one that I was reading about, I'd say a few months ago. I was just like, well, it never made sense to me. People said confidently, well, blood is thicker than water. Right. And I go like, okay, but what water? I don't understand which water. <laughs> I don't understand why it's blood is thicker than water. What, what does that mean? Mm. When I read the full quote, it is, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Mm. Then I discovered that we've actually been using it backwards. Mm. The quote originally meant, the bond that you make based on a promise and, you know, like a blood promise, you know, whether it's to religion or in marriage or, but you're basically saying, this is on my bond, on my honor. I promise you my loyalty in some way, shape or form. The original quote is actually that that bond is stronger than the water of the womb because you can be born to anyone. Mm. You did not Mm. choose to be born to them. You did did not choose to be in a family, Mm. but the decisions you have made, the person you marry, the person you become friends with, those bonds are actually thicker than the water of the womb. And I feel like your dad is the perfect example of that. I I have chills. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. It's amazing because I was using it wrong. I think what I say in the book is that blood may be thicker than water, but love is thicker than blood. Yes, but that's actually the correct quote. Is that, yes. You went to the essence of it. Because a lot of people have, been, have started saying that in life these days. People say... I don't know that it's it's like, it shouldn't it be the people you choose? And ironically, that is exactly what the quote is saying. Mm. Oh, wow. Now that the memoir's out. Yeah. Now that people are reading your story, a very intimate story that involves your family, your parents, you discovering that you are not the biological daughter of your father, you navigating this with your family. How do you feel now that it's actually in the world? I was thinking about this this morning because I was thinking, what's different speaking to Trevor now versus on the beginning of the journey of sharing the book with people? And I don't know if you had this experience with your memoir, but I feel changed by having my story live in the world. In what way? I feel less afraid of what people think of me because Mm. I don't have as much to hide. Mm. So 
to be in the world and to feel more secure in who I am and how I am and to feel like I'm not carrying my parents' shame any longer mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. so freeing. I feel so liberated and secure and excited, just like really excited about what this person can now build and do and create. I, I wonder if you had a feeling that I, I experienced after writing my book and this feeling was a conflicted one, one of, of the relief and the release of letting the story go out there. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was an anxiety awaiting the response <laughs> of my family. Yes. I know that you very rightly were concerned on behalf of your family, specifically your dad, who mm -hmm. spoke to you and said, man, I... I don't want to be ashamed and I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to, I don't want to lose you, basically. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mm -hmm. not be your dad. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I wondered, now that the book has come out, how do your parents feel? How does your mom feel? How does your dad feel? You know, now that it's out there, has it affected their world and has it changed them in any way? It's amazing. So, okay, my mother is so deeply changed by being able to let go of a secret that she held for 40 years years. She's lighter. Oh, wow. She is more free. She's more at ease. I mean, our relationship is so different, so much closer, so much more intimate. There's so much more hugging and laughing and time spent and just like naked truthness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I see her, I see her in relationship to other people just walking in more embodiment, which is so profound to witness. I love that. Because you, you always talked about how growing up, there were just moments where it's almost like you would feel like your mom clamping up and closing off. And you would feel like there was something that was supposed to be there that now somehow wasn't, mm -hmm. but you didn't understand the reason. Mm -hmm. And every time you would write about that in the book, the imagery was so great. It always reminded me of hearing a hip hop song that has been censored. <laughs> You know where you would hear a song, because this would happen to me a lot of the time. I would only hear songs on the radio. This is way back. You couldn't just get the song. And I would hear a song. The rapper would say something and then they'd be like, and that's for all my, in the, that's you think right. we, I don't think you want where we, and you're like, I feel like something was supposed yes, to be there. Yes, and there was Something like was supposed to be there. magic, because sometimes the rhymes wouldn't rhyme. Yeah, like, you're like something, what, what is this? Yeah, that's What right. is this? And it, it feels like what you're saying is now you're getting all the lyrics to your mom's song. I'm getting the explicit version now. <laughs> and, and I love that version of her. I love it. I love it. I mean, it also, I think, is part of why I feel more free because I'm watching how she feels more free. And there is, it really, you know, at some point my dad said to me, when he was growing up, family was almost defined by your loyalty to the secret. Mm. Whether it was a gang, whether it was a family you were born into or a gang or the mafia, right, that we call the familia, like that, the idea was you must be loyal to our secrets. You don't talk about where the bodies are buried. You don't talk about the crimes that have been committed. And that is what keeps your placement in this family. Wow. So our exercise has really been one of redefining what family is. Family doesn't have to be easy. It doesn't have to be a secret. It doesn't have to be a facade. It doesn't have to be pretty all the time. Mm -hmm. Family is doing the hard things, telling the hard truths, standing by each other in authenticity. Right. My dad, okay, so one of the things my dad said to me when he didn't want me to write this book was that this was going to be really bad for my brand. <laughs> <laughs> was, I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you know, you're Carrie Washington. You're on the cover of Time Magazine. You have this incredibly successful career. And oh, that's what amazing. people think of you, that's right? There's amazing. like this idea of perfection. And he said, it's going to be really bad for the brand. And so the week after the book first came out, there my dad is in People Magazine, and he's getting the biggest laughs on the Robin Roberts special, and he's getting standing ovations to sold-out audiences in New York and D.C. And and my husband, you know, Namdi, mm -hmm, it's the best, mm -hmm. my Namdi says, so, hey, Pops, how's your brand doing? <laughs> I mean, he was like, my brand is on fire. Like he, you know, I say that thing in the book of when my parents first told me, 
realizing that I had an opportunity to now love my father unconditionally, mm -hmm. to give him an opportunity to see what it feels like to be loved no matter who you are, or mm -hmm. what you've done or what mm -hmm. you haven't done. And every time I'd said I love you up until that moment, it had been kind of on the assumption of this lie, right. right? I love you because I do not know who you really are. That's right. And he, you know, I think he must have thought if she knows that I'm not her biological father, she might not love me. So I got to prove to him that that wasn't true. But it turns out that while that may have been important, it is the love of like a global audience, you know, that people at large loving him unconditionally was even more healing. Culture receiving him and not thinking of him or redefining him as a failure with this information has been tremendously powerful. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a shift in how we define manhood culturally, yes. in how we define success culturally, that a man should be still lifted up and cherished and celebrated despite his ability to procreate or mm -hmm, not, mm -hmm. despite his ability to be a successful businessman or not. And so there's like a, a real cultural healing in how beloved my dad remains in this moment that I think is one of the gifts of the book. Well, you, you know what I think it also is? I think people take for granted how much collective shame we amass as people mm -hmm. because we are unable to share our truths. That's right. What happens is people are married, they're struggling, they're going through issues as a couple, but because every other couple is only posting the highlights on mm, Instagram, yeah. they feel ashamed of the fact that they are failing at something that everybody seems to be succeeding at. Yes. Because every person seems to be able to have kids when they want to have kids. That's right. The people who are struggling with it are ashamed to express their inability to do that. And, yeah. and what I've come to realize is those stories paradoxically are actually the hero's story because, mm. you know, it's one thing to be able to do the thing. It is another thing to not be able to do the thing and to proudly share that so that everybody yes. else around you knows that that is normal and that's possible. Yes. And and so that other people feel less alone. Yes. Yes. Like that. I think that's such a huge part of it. I mean, I, um, it's so funny because one woman came up to me at an event that Namdi was at and said, like, I just, I want you to know that we share the same story. Wow. And I said, thank you so much. And she walked away. And then I looked at Namdi and I said, which story? <laughs> like, <laughs> like did she, was she born from a donor? Was she, has she survived sexual abuse? Mm. Has she, you know, like, does she have a difficult abortion story? Like, which of the stories that I've shared is the one that, and it almost didn't matter, I right. realized when we talked about it. All we both needed to know is that we're not alone. Yes. That we're doing this human experience and that yes. we're not alone. I think I think people take for granted how much those secrets wall us off from each other. Mm. When I was growing up, I, I never used to understand it. And as a kid, you know, you, you get to an age where you're so afraid of being in trouble that you, you start becoming really good at lying. You know, I'm sure you've seen <laughs> it with your kids. Yes. There's an age yes. every kid hits uh -huh. where it's like, no, I, I didn't eat that. Or I didn't break it. I didn't take <laughs> uh -huh. it. Yep. And I was chatting to a friend about this. And she said, man, my son is going through this phase where he's he's just lying. And I'm, I'm so irritated. And I'm so... And I said, can I ask you a favor? And I say this as somebody who was the son of a mother who had this issue. <laughs> I said, give him a moment. Give him a moment and give him grace. So when you ask him a question that on the other side has an implication of punishment or the possibility of punishment, give him a moment, say to him, hey, did you do this? Don't answer me now. Go and think mm. about it and mm. understand that I would like to know the truth and understand that while I'll be disappointed, I still would like to know what happened here. Yeah. Don't answer me in this moment. Yeah. Don't panic. Go away and think about it. Because what I said to her was what people don't realize is this is what often happens with a lie and a secret. We tell it in a moment. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we don't even realize how quickly that moment comes. It just springs on us. That's right. You know, so someone says to you as Carrie, they go like, oh, your, your dad has your eyes. Well, oh my goodness, you guys you guys are exactly the same. And in that moment you, you go, oh, do I now? And it's too late. It's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. You and just everyone, say, yeah. <laughs> you've got your dad's eyes. And everyone goes, yes, you do. And you keep mm -hmm. it. And, you, and now it becomes this narrative and it grows and it yes. grows. And now yes. you feel more and more and more ashamed. 
And now you can't undo the level of lie because of how deep it gets. That's right. So now That's right. it, it turns from a pebble into a boulder, into a mountain that you now can't get under. And I feel like what you've done for yourself and your family is you've smashed that mountain into smithereens and you've given yourself an opportunity to just work from this new flat piece of land. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So I was talking to James Corden, who said that he was worried for me. James was like, I need to talk to you. I love you. I'm very concerned about you seeking your donor. Wow. Because you have this beautiful life. And, you know, I know your parents. I know your kids. I know your, like, I, I, I understand how beautiful your life is. And I don't want you to give this person so much power that mm. if they aren't who you want them to be, that you suddenly think your life is a failure or that you are unlovable or unworthy in some way. And he told me this beautiful story about some friends of his who used a donor, you know, nowadays where it's it's yeah, not yeah, the yeah. Wild course, West like course, it was right. when my parents did it. You know, they went to a sperm bank and the rules at this sperm bank are that you can't, it, you know, the identity is not disclosed, but you can write a note to the future child. So this donor wrote a note to this child saying, and it gives me chills every time I think about it, saying, dear kid, I want you to know that I am not your father, that who I am is just help, that there wow. are two people who are your parents. They loved you so much. They wanted to meet you so badly, and all they needed was a little bit of help. So they asked me to give them that help, wow. but they are your parents. And I, I thought, yes. Like I, I feel like I can get more information about my donor now because part of the journey of writing this book is getting to that place of knowing that my, it was my parents' love that manifested me. Their deep desire to know me and meet me and mm -hmm. love me mm -hmm. is what led them on this journey. And even like, you know, when the doctor sat my parents down after doing their physical examinations, he said, look, you guys have two options. You can either adopt or you can do this newfangled, highly experimental thing, artificial insemination. Mm -hmm. If my parents hadn't had the shame and desire for secrecy and desire to ma maintain appearances that they had, they probably would have adopted. So it's not only their love, it's actually their shame and their secrecy that led to me being on this planet. Wow. So I have to love all of who they are and know that they brought me into their world, into this world hmm. with the good and the bad. And that the donor is just that. The donor was some help. And I, I do want to meet the donor if, if the person's alive. I do want that information. But mm -hmm. what I'm looking for is information about me. I'm not needing a relationship. Mm -hmm. If it comes with one, I'm open to that. But I have parents. I know the two people who willed me into being. And I am who I am very much because of them. Right. I'm excited about what else I might learn about who I am because of the donor, but but I don't feel the need for that donor to complete me. I I know when I look at this book, when I look at our family, when I, you know, share our story, I know how complete we are. That is so beautiful. This episode is brought to you by CVS Health. Today. Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card is issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. If one part of the book is about Kerry Washington belonging to herself, you know, her story belonging to herself, and if one part of the book is about Kerry Washington taking ownership of her feelings and her emotions, etc., I think the book about your career is particularly amazing because it applies across careers, and it's you taking ownership and your career belonging to you. Mm. you you've done an amazing job acting in a variety of roles. But there's no denying that many of those roles were about support. Mm. <laughs> and I found it multi-layered because it wasn't just you. It's, it's the role that many black women have played in society across the world is the role of the supporting dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wife, supporting partner, supporting yeah. mother, supporting, supporting, supporting. Mm-hmm. You've done an amazing job of it. And then you step into a role that everyone knows you for. Olivia Pope, it becomes this this behemoth <laughs> where now you are still supporting, but in a very different way because it is you. Yeah, I'm team captain. Truly, you are team captain. I would love to know if or how you felt that this was a pressure, a privilege, a gift, an opportunity, mm. or, or an existential curse <laughs> when you know how big this is. 30, what is it? Almost four decades yeah. of no black woman leading a network drama. Mm-hmm. And you know how it is in entertainment. When you're handed something that doesn't ever work or hasn't worked, there's also that element of like, well, if it fails with you, I guess we wait another 50 years. A hundred percent. You know that pressure. You you absolutely, it, it is all of those things, it was like, it was a privilege and an honor and an excruciatingly pressure-filled situation. I knew, like, I again, it, you know, there hadn't been a Black woman as the lead of a network drama in my lifetime. I'd never seen mm, it. It was mm. the, when it had happened before, I, I wasn't here. And so I felt like if we don't get it right, they're never going to do it again. They're not going to do it for a really long time. Right. Everyone around me was calling it a risk. That's wild. <laughs> that the network was taking a risk to put this Black woman as the head of the show. Even though the show was being written by a Black woman and was inspired by a real Black woman, it still was like, I don't know, you know? Like, it, it's been talked about publicly that the first person the studio the network suggested was Connie Britton. Like, that's who does these kind of roles. Mm-hmm. But I also felt like because so much of my career had been about support, I was able to orient myself around the idea that this was not about me, that this was about a moment to make the whole team win. Everybody, everybody has to do their best work because we have to be undeniable. You know, it's that twice as good to be, to get half as much, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew like, we have to leave it all out on the court. And I knew also that, as I know you understand, three quarters of the job was going to be to make a great fucking show. Mm -hmm, And the mm -hmm. other quarter of the job was going to be to be a profound ambassador for the show. Right. To be able to go out there in the world and say to people, I know you've never seen a person like this before, but I'm, I am you and you are me. And the ways we are different will just add spice and chocolate substance to your life. (laughs) Like to make it, you know, to make her, to make the show undeniable culturally in the landscape, yeah. like the way I talk about it and to make the work of the show, which I, I couldn't do alone, but I had to make sure that all the people doing it felt like I was at their back being that supportive person. I, the writer's room always felt like I was in support of them and yeah. grateful. All of the actors on the show, our crew, you know, I, I love filmmaking and making television shows because it's not a solitary art form. You can't sit in a room and do it by yourself. And when I had the chance to be a number one on the call sheet for the first time, I wanted to make sure that I was really being a great teen leader slash den mother, (laughs) you know? I love that. I think you did a great job of that. The gift and the curse is how I always think of it. The burden and the opportunity. Yeah. You know, I remember when I first came to the US to start working on The Daily Show, I was doing an interview I think it was with the New York Times. And 
I was doing it with Lupita Nyong'o. Mm. What a great pairing, you and Lupita. Wow. Yeah, and I was excited. I was like, this is insane. Because, I mean, Lupita was already a trailblazer worldwide. Right. I was this, who is this person coming into America vibe? (laughs) And so I was lucky to be sharing the stage with her. And I was fascinated because we sat down and within the first five minutes, every single question we were asked to discuss with each other was around being black. (laughs) Everything was like Lupita as a black woman stepping into this role and as a black woman winning the Oscar. And, you know, as a black woman, when you look at the roles and black women's roles and and if the black and and if you look at that side of being Mm. black and black and 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 it it was I don't think I would have noticed if it was me. You know, because when you're in an interview, you know how it is. You, you, you're concentrating and you're trying to make sure you're... You're in you're, the game. Yeah, you're, you're trying to understand what the person's actually asking you and, and you're responding accordingly. But to watch it was fascinating because I stopped and I said, hold on, I, I don't mean this in a, in a rude way, but do you ask any of the white Oscar winners what their win means for whiteness before everything mm. else in the interview? Mm. And the journalist stopped and, and was very gracious and said, I didn't, I've never thought of that. And I'll never forget, Lupita said, mm. I've never been able to say that, but thank you. Because obviously, if you say it, you, I mean, I get it. You don't want to seem like an asshole. That's right. You're a jerk when you say it. That's right. Yeah, I, I sat with that. And, I've, you know, it's something that you can only see when you see it. Mm. I look at how many stories of yours I've read where that is not only the focus, but it becomes in many ways sort of like an obligation of yours. Mm-hmm. There was the, the incident where you were on the cover of, of a magazine. And they had altered the image. I think this has this happened to you twice or once. It's happened like three times. Yeah, three times. Where you know, once I remember they they altered the image to change your body, and then in another one they changed your skin tone. Mm-hmm. And this has happened to multiple black women, especially you know when on the covers of quote unquote mainstream magazines. Mm-hmm. Your response is always gracious. Every time I read it, I go like, wow, I don't know what breaths Carrie takes before she responds to things, but she needs to teach everyone (laughs) (laughs) because it's the the next level of meditation. But there's also the obligation. And I'd, I'd love to speak a little bit about that. How do you find or where do you find the moments to celebrate your achievements in the vacuum of just being your achievements as Kerry Washington, as a human being who grew up as a little girl dreaming of being in this world and supporting her family? And then how do you find the time and the space to step out of that and then celebrate it, even though it is a burden as well, for black women, for black people? Like, do you actively take time to do that? Yeah, I don't know that I would. I I don't think I separate it out. I'm trying to be better about celebrating in general because celebrating is not something that I'm very good good at or historically huh. I haven't been very good at it. I'm really good at celebrating other people, but even like so like we just had our 10 year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so amazing. And we had to really force ourselves to sit down and have a plan for how we were going to celebrate it. Like what we were going to do that was special mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you don't want to just look back and be like I was this human doing who just was doing and doing and doing without being in the joy of it. And I do, I do think about it a lot as a parent. Like this past spring, we had a courage cupcake party because my three kids all did something that they were anxious about. They all achieved in, in the same <laughs> week. Like my 17-year-old got her driver's license and my nine-year-old had her first piano recital and my son did his first musical theater performance and everybody had been like really nervous and really anxious and resistant and ugh. And it all happened around the same time. So we had this courage cupcake party and like that. So as a mom, I'm definitely, I'm in the zone of celebrating and as a wife too, but as for myself, I'm, I, it's something I'm working on. So separating it out, I actually, now that I think about it, I probably do celebrate more when I do something that contributes to the goodness of black folks or black women in particular, Mm -hmm. that to me feels worth celebrating as opposed to something that's just for me. So this is something I've noticed, particularly in America, because America has a very unique dynamic. Mm -hmm. For a very long time, you were black famous. Yeah. And every black person knows what that means. And for those who don't know what it means, it means that you are extremely famous, but only amongst black people. And generally, that blackness extends across the globe. By the way, because there are so many American actors who didn't realize how famous they were in South Africa. Many black American actors. 
and in Africa as a whole. But it's just because the blackness was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And in thinking mm-hmm. about this, I found myself wondering, I was like, was there ever a moment when you felt strange going from, this is Kerry Washington, she's ours, we celebrate her, she 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 belongs to us. You know, you, you cannot get into certain talk shows or you, you can't be in certain spaces because you're black. And since you're black famous, you know, mm. and we've heard these stories, Tracy Ellis Ross, so many other black celebrities or actors have spoken about this. And then you blow up in this role. But interestingly, it isn't an instant celebration of that same blackness that has held you back for so long. Mm. It's almost like you're apart from it now. What was, was that ever something noticeable? Like, was there ever something strange where it's like, you know, you, you're the black actress and then it's like, no, no, no. Now you're just Kerry Washington and everybody loves you. You know, I'm really lucky that I didn't get like everybody famous mm. until much later in my career. Because I think if it had happened earlier, I don't know that I would have been able to understand the importance of holding on to my community and audience in the same way. But I had been on this roller coaster for so long. I mean, by the time the show came around, I'd already been in the business for over a decade. So I had watched Jamie Foxx go from being Black famous to famous. I'd watched Forrest Whitaker go from being Black famous to famous. I'd watched Chris Rock go from being Black famous to famous. And I'd also watched how there were times where they were less famous famous and Black people still love you. If you love Black people. Yeah. Like if you stay with us, we stay with you. And so by the time the show came along, I was like, no matter, I could hear Chris Rock in my head sometimes. Like, <laughs> no matter what you do, you don't forget your black audience because we are ride or die. Like black people, if you if you love us, we will not stop. We don't care if your show gets canceled. Mm-hmm. We don't care if they gave you third billing. We don't care if your movie bombed. Like we'll still come see you. We are with you a lot longer than the general public. Right. And so I knew in the life of the show that like we can't alienate our black audience. I want everybody to love us, but if black people don't love us, we are in trouble. Um, and that, I feel like I've carried that with me even as a producer into other work. Like I know I I want to make content for everybody, but I can never forget how important my people are in that equation. I, I have two questions that I've been dying to ask you. And I mean, one is because, you know, now you can talk about it. And the other yeah. one is, is really because of the journey of the book. And the question is, what now? You know, where do you, where do you want to go with your family now? Because it, it, it really is a whole new world that you're starting off yeah. with them. You can, you know, you've seen yourself, your dad, your mom, everybody, your kids, your husband. So I'd love to know on, on that front, what now? And then, I mean, you know, the, the business is back. What now for Kerry Washington? What are you excited about? So... The what now of my family is, um, I think we're getting really close to identifying the donor. Mm -hmm. And so that feels really exciting. It feels like a new story opening up and unfolding. So I'm excited about that. But I'm also really, I feel so lucky that my parents gave me this information while they were still alive. To get this information while they're still here makes me want to absorb every second that I can with them. Hmm. Like to really, to really live fully with them now, to like be all of who I am and to live in the beauty of those secrets being excavated, right? To like, to really be in my truth with them and in the world. I'm just so excited about that. I'm so happy that I get to now step into more of my story. And then for me, in terms of the work, I'm I'm really excited to do a second season of Unprisoned. That show is so much about fathers and daughters, and I feel it like my indeed, yeah. well has really deepened in what I have to offer that character and that journey. But I also feel like 
and maybe this is what a lot of writers feel like, I feel like a writer now. Ooh, um, okay, and okay. And so I don't know what that's going to look like or what it means, but I do know, like I, I have for so long loved language and have thought of every word that a writer gives me to say as an actor as a precious gift and an, an opportunity to unlock the truth of a character. So being sort of the creator of language has been such a treat and an honor, and I, I want to keep doing it. I don't know exactly how or what medium or what that's going to look like, but I, I do want to maintain those muscles. Well, there are a few people I would encourage more to flex those muscles because I've always said to you, <laughs> you are truly a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. I've always loved mm. the way you 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 craft your words. Many of us love you because you're a phenomenal actress as well. I mean, you've changed our lives. And uh, I think in sharing this, you know, you, you've opened up something in someone somewhere out there who needed to hear it. And thank you for sharing the story. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Bye. Mwah. What Now with Trevor Noah is produced by Spotify Studios in partnership with Day Zero Productions, Fullwell 73, and Odyssey's Pineapple Street Studios. The show is executive produced by Trevor Noah, Ben Winston, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Barry Finkel. Produced by Emmanuel Hapsis, Janelle Anderson, and Marina Henke. Music mixing and mastering by Hannes Brown. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next week, this time on Tuesday instead of Thursday. That's right. A whole new episode coming a whole new two days earlier. We'll see you there.